Good morning, Gay Church. I got, so we're a little lopsided this morning. Most of the crowd's sitting over here, so this means this side, you're going to have to amen and help me double what you normally would. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Good morning to see each and every one of you. It's an honor to be here and to be speaking with you this morning. My name is Jordan Roberts, and my wife and I, my wife's name is Holly. She's here on the front. We serve on the pastoral team here at the Gay Church, and that's a great privilege and honor for us. And so since I have the mic, you'll have to endure me just a moment. But uh, we are so glad and so honored to have our senior pastor, Pastor Kathy Miller, back in the house today. Pastor Kathy, I honor you, and we honor you. We're so glad to have you back and to have you home. Now, I'm going to let you know where she's been in case you haven't known. She has been in the country of England. And so uh, this is, it's been uh, just over a year now, um, but uh, Pastor Kathy's oldest daughter and her husband, their names are Amanda and Jason, they served for many years here on the pastoral team, and they knew that God was leading them into the new chapter of their lives. And so uh, the Lord gave them an opportunity to take a church in the UK. And with much courage and boldness, they said yes to God's call. And so they picked up their family and they moved across the ocean to not just a, a new city, but a new nation. And so they've been laboring hard there. And Pastor Kathy was there to help them and assist them transitioning into the church. And so uh, here's why that's important for us. It's important that we don't forget that our senior pastors, uh, Bishop Miller, who's no longer with us, but Pastor Kathy carries a mandate on her life. And there's a mandate on this house to have an international reach. The nations have always been a part of what has been going on here at the Gate Church. And so that's why we make it happen when we need to send our pastor to another nation to show support, whether it's for family or whether it's someone who's not family. We're going to make it happen because that's who we are at the Gate Church. We believe the gospel of Jesus is for all people and for all nations. Amen. And so, Pastor Kathy, we honor you for being willing to go the distance and to endure what I'm assuming is lots and lots of COVID tests. And so thank you for saying yes and carrying on the call. Now, before I go into my sermon, there's one other person that I want to honor this morning. I want to give honor to Mr. Pastor Songo Adoki because my brother last week shared a word that was tremendous. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you, if you, didn't, if you were not here or you haven't heard Pastor Songo's message, do yourself a favor. You need to make that part of your devotions for the foreseeable future. I think it's amazing, Songo, that the Lord used you to minister a word about peace and restoration, not knowing that that week we're going to be looking at some of the world circumstances that we are. It was an on-time word, and I believe that God's going to use that to minister to his people. So if you haven't seen that, make sure you go check that out and make it part of your weekly devotions. Does that feel okay? Awesome, awesome. Now, I have a passage of scripture to share with you from Genesis chapter 16 this morning. As we get going, I'm going to read you a passage, and then we're going to pray just briefly together if that's okay. Genesis chapter 16 verses 1 and 6. This is a short passage that is detailing to us a period, a, a piece of the story of Abraham and Sarah. And they were, they are together. We call Abraham the father of our faith. 
because there was great turmoil in the beginning of human history. And God, when he sets out to do a new thing, he calls Abraham and Sarah, and he uses them to give them a land, a home, and through them, he's going to create a nation and to quote God, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I believe that it was impossible for them to understand the depth and the width of what it is that God was trying to do through their lives. Uh, How could they have known? And yet we pick ourselves up in the middle of this story in chapter 16. God has been at work, but they're at a place of difficulty because they are still unable to bear a child, to produce a child. And so we pick up here in verse 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so Abram, had been living, excuse me, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between me and you. And Abram responds and says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from her. So just to add a little context, this is, this is a low point in the life of Sarah. And so to understand how it is that you rationalize this type of decision-making, we're gonna take a look at some backstory today. And we're gonna analyze what Sarah's story was like and what led her to this moment. And so you all know that we're in the middle of our re-series. And so today I'm gonna talk to you about redeem. Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I humble myself before you. Lord, I say it's such a privilege and an honor to communicate your word. Lord, I ask that you use me as an instrument in your hand and that, Lord, you will put your words into my mouth. Lord, I put my eyes on you and my focus on you. And Lord, I trust that your word will do what it has always done and that it will make people's lives better and that it will change their lives. Lord, we open our hearts to your word. If you're in here with me today, why don't you just say that? Lord, we open our hearts to your word to receive from you. And that, Lord, childlike faith will always overcome fancy speech and high education. So, Lord, I speak that over your people today that you will honor their childlike faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So let's set the scene just a little bit. Thank you, Sarah. Let's set the scene just a little bit. Let's examine some history and use our imagination a bit. 
Now, I believe that there's plenty of room in the Word of God for us to use reason and logic and to put ourselves into the shoes of the characters who we read about. And so the Scripture tells us that Abram and Sarah are from the city of Ur, or Ur of the Chaldees. And so this is a region in ancient Mesopotamia, and you may or may not be familiar with ancient Mesopotamian mythology. But in that city, they were known for worshiping a god literally called Sin, S-I-N. And his symbol was the crescent moon. They were star worshipers. And so Abram's great-great-grandfather was a man named Sarug. Sarug, what a terrible name. I hope no one here is named Sarug. Look at your neighbor and say, Sarug, Sarug. Sarug was one of the men who uh, was from the lineage of those who were run off from the Tower of Babel. And so they went there and founded the city of Ur. And now this is important for us because we need to understand that I don't believe that Abram was just another guy living in Ur trying to make it. I believe that Abram was from a more well-to-do family. We might even say a noble family. And there's some other things that we know. We know that even in her 70s, Sarah was such a beautiful lady that when the Pharaoh of Egypt sees her, he immediately wants her and pays an extraordinarily high price to try to take her as his wife. And so what am I getting at here? I think there's a recipe here if we look at it. I think that Sarah would have more or less enjoyed a a good life in the city of Ur. She was obviously very attractive in being married to someone who their family were founders of the city. It was a power power region in that area, a power city. And so you have a, a, a beautifully attractive woman. We know that if Pharaoh liked her at 70, we can only imagine what 17 and 20 and 25 and 30, what she may have looked like. She's a knockout. She's a bombshell. Look at your wife and say, kind of like you, sweetie. And so she's beautiful, and then Abra being a nobleman from a well-to-do family, let's just imagine a little bit, let's take some creative liberty here, and I believe that Abram most likely pursued her. And so it was a big deal when they got married in the city, when they were joined together in marriage, because we've got the most beautiful woman of the city and one of the the young, well-to-do men of the city coming together. I am imagining it would have been quite a celebration. And so for many, many years, they live in Ur, and we have every reason to assume that everything's going good. Until one day, Abram comes home talking about, I've been talking to God. Now, are there any wives in here that when your husband comes home says, I've been talking to God, you either go, thank the Lord, it's about time, he's answering my prayers, or you go, oh, oh, I don't know about what's about to happen. Abram comes home one day and says, God has told me to pack up everything we own and to take our family out into the desert. Don't ask me where because I don't know. He said he'd tell me once I got going. Now, I wonder if there are any ladies in the room who are starting to identify with young Sarah who, when your husband comes home and says, I'm going to uproot you from everything you have known, we're going for a journey out into the desert, you start going, what what, what, hang on, hang on. He didn't ask her, and what do you think about it? It's real quiet, because I know I'm on the nerve now. He didn't ask her, what do you think? Honey, will you pray with me? He said, uh, we're going. Pack your stuff. 
And so she would have had a beautiful home, and just the way I imagine it, Pastor Jay, she sits up on her balcony in the evening and watches the Euphrates go by and the wheat and grain fields all around. It would have been beautiful. And he's saying, we're packing up and going into the wilderness. Us and all of our stuff and our family. And notice he doesn't take her family. He takes his family. So now we're going on to a journey into the wilderness with our in-laws. God better be God or there's going to be bloodshed before we cross the Euphrates. But I want to suggest something to all of us today. That we are like Sarah and Abraham. And that part of being a disciple is to also be like a pilgrim in this sense. That God is always taking us somewhere. God is always taking us somewhere. And I want to say to some of you today, whether you are here or online, that God is wanting to take you somewhere. His mission has not really changed. Through Abraham and Sarah, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Guess what? We now by faith are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And if you are listening to me and you are a believer, then you have the same mission and purpose that Abraham and Sarah had. That through us, through the Jesus in us, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Let me just throw this in for the sake of modern times. God doesn't say that he will build a system and that that system, whether it be private or it be government or whatever, he says, I'll use my system. He, he starts with people, with men and with women, with families and with churches. And he says, through this family, through this family of faith, I will bless the nations of the earth. And so we can't look to capital cities and say, where's our help? The God in us is the help and the compass and the direction and the power that we need to see peace and love rule and reign on planet earth. Look at your neighbor and say, we have a mission and we're on a journey. And if we're going to go on this journey, we have to be willing to be uprooted, to sometimes move away from our home, to let go of our comfort, to let go of our status, to let go of our friends, and to even let go of our favorite foods. I imagine there was certain preferred cuisine in Ur, and I don't think that that was there in the unsettled land of Cana. But here's what I want to tell to you. You may be listening to me today and you say, that bears witness with me. I think God is wanting to do something bigger in my life. I may not even know how to explain it. Here's what I want to say to us. We have to be willing to do what Abraham and Sarah did. We're going to have to let go and step out. Did you hear me, friends? There comes a time you have to let go and you have to step out into the unknown. We don't know what's waiting for us just over the horizon, but this we do know that God has promised us that he will be with us. So take out your phone and your notepad and just write this, step out, step out, God will be with us. But could you imagine the inner turmoil that Sarah would be fighting? 
You know, it's one thing to trust your spouse when you have a life built together. We have our friends and our jobs and we have our savings and our money market accounts and our Roth IRA. We have our golf buddies and we have our, I don't, what do ladies do for fun? Shop. We have our shopping buddies. We have all these things. And so it's easy for us to trust our spouse. But what happens when it's just me and her? When it's just you and him against the world? Can we trust each other? I imagine that Sarah's levels of trust at the very minimum were being strained. Amen? So that was the opening. Here's part one. Look at your neighbor and say, famine. Holy cow, they go all this way. They follow the rivers north out of Ur, and they find themselves in the region of Negev in Israel. Still a, little, a place you can Google it after church. Don't do it right now because I don't want you to get distracted looking at Israel on Google while I'm preaching. But they wind up in Negev. And right as they're so, you have to remember, they're nomads. And so they've got tents and camels and rugs and the mobile fireplaces and the whole deal. It's super cool. And so they get to this place and they finally settle down. They stop for just a moment because God and Abraham at this point, it feels like they're almost having daily talks. And so, you know, they kind of have camp set. Abraham goes out and he comes back. He's like, I've talked to God he, through us. He's going to build a great nation. And I guess Sarah was making pita bread or something. Okay, that's great, Abram. What would you like for lunch or whatever the thing is? And so just when there is some stability, maybe we have arrived. Maybe here is where I can build my home. Maybe here is where our family will start. Maybe here is the place where God is going to do through us what he has promised. A famine comes. Most of us have never missed a meal over a day or two that we didn't want to. It's a whole other prospect entirely to skip a meal because you're fasting or dieting or whatever. But when you have to not eat because there's no food, the anxiety and the anger level starts to go way up. And so just as things look to be settled, here comes a famine. Now, can we just cut to the chase? I don't know about you. Abraham's already on my nerves because I'd at least be like, can you take me out with you and let me see this God that you're talking to? I'd at least like to see him. He don't even have to talk to him. I just want to see that you're talking to him and that you're not talking to a palm tree having visions. And then all of a sudden, here's a famine. I would be saying to myself, I don't know if I trust Abram a whole lot, but we have made it so far. But when the famine comes, I'd start doubting God. God, what are you doing in our lives? Why couldn't you do what you wanted to do in Ur? Why couldn't you use those friends and those situations and that money and that infrastructure and that system? Why couldn't you do it there? Why am I in the middle of a famine-ridden desert? Has anyone ever thought about how God doesn't do us dirty? You know, he doesn't manipulate us or play games with us. God will always tell you up front what he's going to do. Did you hear what I just said? He's going to tell you what he's going to do. It's pretty rare that God will tell us how and when he's going to do the what. 
And so, so many times we get a sense of what God wants to do and we become invigorated, full of life, full of passion. Yeehaw, saddle the horse, saddle the camel. Here we go out into the desert. But then a famine comes and we become rattled because God left the part about the famine out. Do you know why God does that? Because we can't fall into the trap of thinking this or drawing our source of life and peace from answers. Because he is the answer. Even when we don't know, God, what are you doing? You brought me all the way out here to starve. You brought me all the way out here to die of thirst. Here is what God is saying to people like me and you. When you're on the journey and the famine hits and you weren't expecting it, don't worry about the answer. Worry about who the answer is. Follow me and I will make a way for you. I want to tell somebody in here, you say, I feel like I'm in a famine. I want to tell you that God will take care of you no matter how difficult, no matter how hungry you are, no matter how thirsty you are. It is never over until God says it's over. I once heard a wise man say the king has one more move and that even when famine hits, God still has a plan. His sovereignty is such that when famines come, when wars or rumors of war come, God is not shaken on his throne. His elbow doesn't slip off the armrest. His crown is not rattled on his head because he is in control. He has been in control from day one. He is going to make a way for you even in the midst of famine. I put gas in my truck last week, and I have a heavy-duty diesel truck, and she's a thirsty girl. And so diesel jumped 10 cents overnight, um, the night of the invasion, and so I thought, oh, why did I not put gas in my truck before Vlad went crazy? And it cost me a lot of money, and I had my own little micro-famine. Right there. I kept watching them numbers on the pump, and the person behind the register is looking at me going, yeah. And I was like, God, please. What do we do when famine hits? You give God a bigger box. Because if I'm just settling down in Negev, I'm going, I don't know if I want to go to Egypt. But give God a bigger box. Because the same God who's God in Ur, the same God who's God in Negev, the same God who's God in Hebron is also God in Egypt. I had a strong word from the Lord one time. I'm I'm from the mountains. It's my home. I feel comfortable there. And I was struggling over coming to the prairie of Oklahoma. For lots of reasons. And I was in the most beautiful prayer spot you've ever seen. It's more than you've ever seen, trust me. And God says this to me. I knew what I was supposed to do, but I was afraid. And God said, I'm God in the mountains, and I'm God on the prairie. 
And so when Jordan becomes shaken and afraid, I go back to my special prayer waterfall and I could take you to the exact spot. I, I put myself there and I talk to myself and I'm going to say it to me and I'm going to say it to you that the same God that's God in the mountains is God on the prairie and that your ability to make it is not contingent upon your ability, your skills, your education. It is contingent upon that God has chosen you. He has picked you. He has called you and he has anointed you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, he has picked me. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For God's thoughts are not our thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than ours. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27, But God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the strong. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be weak. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of a man that he should repent. If he has said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he is good for it. Look at your neighbor and say, he has called me, I'm going to make it. Part two, sold, sold. And so they're on their way to Egypt looking for food. We know the Nile River has always been a great fixture uh, in that area of geography. There's always been life there. Praise God. And so they're on their way to Egypt. The ancient seat of power uh, there in Egypt was the city of Memphis. That's where the king Pharaoh lived and ruled. And so we see from the text here, if you, you can rewind the story just before Genesis 16 to read this particular passage of Scripture. For the sake of time, I'm just going to give you a flyover. So we know that Sarah is absolutely gorgeous. And so they're riding their camels, and as Memphis is in the, coming up on the horizon, Abraham rides his camel over to Sarah's camel, and he presents a plan. And this is essentially it. So you're really pretty, and if when we get there, and they ask us if we're married, I need you to lie. Because if they know we're married, they'll kill me and then take you. So I need you to lie, but you'll know that when, I'm on, that when I keep on living that it'll be because of you. Now, I don't know about your wife. My wife would have found something on that camel, and she would have backhanded me off of my camel so hard and so fast, it had taken three servants to get me up out of the sand of Egypt. Holy moly, this guy is either crazy or brave or both. What do we hear in Abraham? Fear. 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 One of the last conversations I ever had with Bishop, we were coming home from Colorado, 
And he said to me, he said, son, you can never give fear a vote. The context of that conversation, it changed my life. I needed that. I needed somebody to say that to me. You can never give fear a vote. And so he takes the coward's way out. He puts it on her to keep up with his lie. So he's asking her to lie. And then he's essentially saying this, your virtue is less important than my life. If you read all through Genesis, that's the pattern of man. We'll sacrifice someone else so that we don't have to pay. Now, that's wicked and twisted. I don't know how a marriage survives that. And then he kind of turns the hook in her, implying that if you don't do what I've asked, I'll be dead and it'll be your fault. That's manipulation. Here's another fancy word for manipulation, witchcraft. Okay? See me after service, I'll explain it to you. And so Sarah, out of humility and obedience, what does she do? They show up in Pharaoh's court, and sure enough, Abraham wasn't wrong. The guards at the front gate said, "Uh, somebody go get Pharaoh. We're bringing her up here. He's got to see this. She's 70 year old, and she's fine, son. (laughs) So what does Pharaoh do? Who is this? Well, that's my sister. Well, I'll tell you what. Here is an extraordinary amount of wealth. I'll I'll pay you for her because I want her to be my wife. She's pretty. And what does Abram say? Okay. Imagine how it would feel someone that you've got 70, almost 80 years under your belt with them. Her, her willingness to go along with this charade shows that she was an easy-to-live-with wife for the most part. And the one time that his life comes in danger, he's going to sell you to protect his own skin. How do you recover from something like that? I think that this is pertinent for all of us because I think all of us in different ways, in different flavors, in different circumstances, we have all been bought and sold in this sense that the people who should have been willing to give their life to protect us actually sacrificed us to protect theirs. And so we have, we all know what it feels like to be undervalued, to be a second choice to be asked to compromise, to be pressured to lie, to give more than we should be asked to give. We know what it feels like to be abandoned. But God is working His redemption all along the way. And so here's what I want to say to those of you that you say, man, I'm trying to keep going on this journey, but I've had my teeth kicked in. I've been abused, I've been traded, I've been uh, objectified, I've been looked over, I've been abused. There's a burden to that, there's a weight to that. And here's what I find is miraculous, is that there's no proof that anyone tells her this. But the scripture says that because of what Pharaoh done, he brought plagues to Pharaoh in his household because of the issue with Abraham and Sarah. Even when Abraham didn't do his job, God made a way of escape for Sarah. He was looking at her and saying, you got put into a sham deal. I will intervene on your behalf. I will keep you from this wrong marriage. The scripture leads us to believe that there was never consummation or abuse that happened to Sarah on the part of Pharaoh. He recognized something was wrong and he said take your wife Abram and the stuff I gave you and get out of here 
Here's what I want to tell you, say to you. I don't care who has let you down, who has abused you, and who has overlooked you. God will make a way for you because He is a God of redemption. And when you may look in the mirror and say, I feel dirty, I feel broken, I feel bent, don't you worry, friend. His redemption will be at work on your behalf because man will always fail us. But there was one man who He said through His actions to the whole world. They sold you and bought you to protect themselves, but I will lay down my life for you because I am the husbandman. I am the good shepherd, and I am a friend who sticks closer to, the, to than a brother. You may have been overlooked by your mama and your daddy and your husband and your wife, but I want to tell somebody that God has never overlooked you because He is a God of redemption. Amen. So you got your notepad out? Don't let, don't let the actions of others become a truth over your life. Your self-worth is not connected to how others treat you. It is not connected to the opinions of others over your life. Amen? If the band will come. Part three, we've come full circle. Part three, look at your neighbor and say sabotage. Sabotage. So we see that Sarah has had a difficult story being uprooted surviving a famine. There's no stability or peace in her life. And then she is betrayed by the one person who was not supposed to betray her. It's been a difficult journey. And what does God keep saying all the while? I'm going to use you. I'm going to birth a son through you, and you will become a great nation. He even takes Abraham out of the tent one night, and he says, look at the stars. Count them if you can, old boy, knowing that he can't. And he says, your descendants will be like the stars. Another time he says, your descendants will be like the grains of sand in the desert. God keeps speaking his promise. And Sarah keeps living from difficulty to difficulty to difficulty. And so how does a wife come to a place where she says, I will let this this outside woman, this servant, go into my bedchamber and lay with my husband because she feels so devalued that maybe God will do it through my servant. Do you know what I read? Do you know what I hear when I read that passage? When Sarah looked in the mirror, she felt so worthless that she said, me and the slave are the same. I'm not important in all this. I'm just a tag along. I'm the sidecar. I'm a pawn in the game. 
And if you're just a pawn, what's the difference between one pawn and the next? The worst damage that we can do is to ourselves. God was working to redeem her from a pagan city and redeem them in the midst of famine and redeem her in the midst of betrayal. I don't know about you, but what keeps me up at night is what I've done to myself. And many times we find ourselves asking, God, how can you redeem what I've done? How can you redeem what I have become? You will start to despise the call of God on your life if you start believing that it's all up to you to accomplish it. What did she say? God has made it where I am barren. Maybe I can build a family through her. What is she saying? I have to build the family. I have to do it. I wonder if there's anybody in here listening to me or maybe you're online and you're saying, I've been carrying this weight, this burden. That's, it's breaking me. It's crushing me. I feel like I have to do it all. I have to produce it. I have to cause life to come forth. I have to get water to come out of the rock. I have to make the oil come out of the jars. Ah, 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 ah. And Sarah breaks her own integrity when she lets the woman go into Abram's bedchamber and then abuses her servant for doing what she said. My grandpa always said the proof is in the pudding. We know that her decisions were wrong. Look at how it turned out. How can God redeem that? It's so easy. If you want God's redemption to be at work in your life, all you have to do is repent. Repent. What is repentance? There's a lot of confusion about that. What is repentance? Telling the truth to yourself and to God about what has really been going on. And say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I dropped the ball. I put myself in your place. I was trying to do what only you can do. I know a lot of Christians that are tough. They can endure. They've overcome so much but where we make the mistake is we start thinking we are God. And we start thinking that our grit is what's going to get it done instead of His grace. We start thinking that our experience is more powerful than His truth. And we say, God, I have to do it. I want to tell somebody today, today is your day to lay down that weight. Today is your day to let go and let God. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Did you know what? She wasn't wrong. 
we see that Abram was capable of producing a child without her. She was barren. It was her. And so you may say, you don't know what I've done and where I've been. It is me. I did that. I wanted to do it in that moment. I didn't know what it was going to cost me. I got a passage of scripture for you. Genesis 21, 1 and 3. I'm reading this as a declaration over some of you. That you thought you were right about what you've done and who you are. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Can we just stop right there? I'm declaring over you today, Gate Church, whether you're sitting in this room or you're watching me online, that God is going to do for you what he told you he was going to do. You didn't know how and you didn't know when, but God is going to redeem all the bumps in the road and the question mark and the journey, even what you have done, even what you have become. Your sin is not more powerful than the redemption of Jesus Christ. He will do what he said he's going to do. And when he did, Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abram, Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him and Sarah, Isaac. When you are on the journey of being a disciple, and you feel like a pilgrim in a strange and foreign land, how is God going to do it? All I see around me is chaos and difficulty and death. Our God is a God that he brings forth new life out of things that are dead. When there was no family, he picked Abraham and Sarah. When there was no son, he provided one. When there was no nation of God's people, he made one. When they were slaves, he brought them out. Every time he made a promise, he has kept his word. And guess what? We are living proof in these seats and through that camera that God is still keeping his word to Sarah, that through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so I speak to the Jesus in you, and I stir him up, and I say that it's never too late, and you're not too far gone. He brought new life out of Sarah's womb, and he brought new life out of a tomb in Jerusalem. It's never too late, and it's never too far gone. If you want God to work this kind of redemption in your life, stand on your feet with me. Our prayer teams are going to come, and you say, I don't know this God that takes dead things and make them live again. 
If that's you, when I let you come, you just come. Our prayer teams are going to pray with you. They'll make everything crystal clear to you. And I want you to hear me very, very closely right here. The first step of repentance is humility. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that is a demonstration of your humility. If you're in this room or you're watching me online and you say, I need God's redemption in my life, all I want you to do is stick your hand up. We're not saying why or how. We're just saying if you're saying, I need God's redemption to work in my life, just stick your hand up. Thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you. God will honor your humility. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. You pray it with me, and we're going to believe. We know that God is going to do the work on your behalf. God, forgive me where I have let what others have done or what I have done cause me to become stagnant, to become barren. God, forgive us if we have tried to be God and taken your place. God, I get off the throne and I want to put you back on it. And I declare today that God is a God who keeps his word and brings forth new life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen and amen. Now grab hands with your neighbor or just put your hand on their shoulder or just, just, act, just hold your hand up. Let's just pray over each other. Lord, I lift up my neighbor to you and Lord, I speak strength to them in Jesus' name. I declare God's faithfulness over their life that he will be more than enough. He'll be food and water in times of famine. He'll be protection when we are alone and that he will bring forth new life into my neighbor, into my brother, into my sister, into my spouse. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen and amen. Our prayer teams are here. If you would like further prayer, please come at this time. The worship team is going to worship with us. Let's not lose this moment. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for letting me minister to you today. It's a privilege and an honor. On behalf of Pastor Kathy and our team, we love you. Go and be blessed. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gate Church family. What an amazing service. I mean, with worship, we had uh, you know, prayers and uh, just so many people being touched by the Holy Spirit, even during worship. And then Pastor Jordan just gave an amazing word about redemption. And I want to encourage you today, just like he said, God wants to redeem you. And the first step of redemption is this, to repent. Humble yourself and repent. And so if you need help, you know, repenting, praying, just hearing the Holy Spirit's voice in your life, we have prayer teams here. Just put it in the chat that we need prayer. I need prayer. And we will be there for you to pray with you. 
And I believe, we believe here at the Gate Church that once you pray, once you repent, God will do for you, just like he did for Sarah, what exactly he promised to you. And we believe that God has great things in store for you. We believe that God will fulfill his purpose in your life, and you're going to do great things for his name, not our name. We love you here at the Gate Church, and we're always here for you. And we'll see you next time. See you later.